Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, April 21st, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 4, We Agnostics, on page 50, the second paragraph beginning with In Our Personal Stories. Today's readers are as follows. Sally C., the OA 12 Steps. Nancy O., the OA 12 Traditions. And Susie K., Rick B., and Janice M. will read the text. The share ID for Sunday, April 20th, is 6212. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sally C. to read the OA 12 steps. Good morning. This is Sally C. from Oregon, a compulsive overeater. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. 
Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Susie K. I'm sorry, um, Sally C. And um, I will now ask Nancy O to read the OA 12 traditions. Thank you, Rebecca. This is Nancy O, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Dayton, Ohio. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Nancy O. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive, overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 4, We Agnostics, on page 50, the second paragraph beginning with, In Our Personal Stories. I will ask Susie Kay to begin reading. Good morning. Can you hear me? We can hear you, Susie. Oh, good. Okay. Susie Kay from Maine, Recovered Compulsive Reader. In our personal stories, you will find a wide variation in the way each teller approaches and conceives of the power which is greater than himself. Whether we agree with the particular approach or conception seems to make little difference. 
experience has taught us that these are matters about which, for our purpose, we need not be worried. They are questions for each individual to settle for himself. So um, this paragraph is, just tells me that whatever I come up with for a higher power is fine and that um, I get to decide what a higher power means for me. And when I got the, to this part in the steps, um, my sponsor asked me to jot down words that describe my higher power to me. And, you know, I came up with words like a higher power of my understanding, but I, I came up with words like nature and tranquility and calm and beauty and mystery and wonderful and magical and life-giving and words like that. And it doesn't matter what those words are. You have your own words. Each of us has our own words to describe our higher power and has our own way of coming to an understanding of a higher power, whether it's a, um, whether it's very quickly or whether it's more slowly or whether our um, idea of a higher power evolves over time and changes. Um, I don't need to worry about what your higher power is. You don't need to worry about what mine is. I've um, worked with sponsees who, you know, they have their own conception. It doesn't matter. Just as long as they have um, and believe in something in their in their life, um, which has uh, more power than they do, something to guide them in recovery. Um, that's all that matters. Um, and it's really a beautiful part of this program. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Susie Kay. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Arlene. Go ahead, Eileen. Thank you so much. Uh, this is Eileen. I'm a compulsive eater from Bedford, Massachusetts. I haven't been listening to this meeting for a while because I just got a new job two months ago, and I love it, but I miss this meeting a lot. I just thought I'd say that. But anyway, um, yes, uh, my conception um, my personal story um, has changed incredibly so since I've been in this program. Um, there is definitely a wide variation in how people, uh, I'm thinking about when someone gets up and qualifies and tells their story. Um, my story now includes, I think um, as time goes by, you put the food down and then you replace it with um, a higher power and a belief and a trust in others, in the fellowship and in God. Um, you know, I, I just can't say enough about this program to people. I've been around now. I've been back in OA for 10 years working it, but my first meeting ever was in 1986, and I just couldn't get the willingness to surrender the down sugar and the flour. You know, whether it's because I didn't have a trust or a belief in a higher power, I don't know. But I, I know this. I was still trying to do it my way and work my will in life. And, you know, I experienced consequences from that. 
But I'm not here to talk about that. I'm not here to dwell on that. I'm here to just live, stay in the day. And and um, I can't be worried. You know, uh, what I ask my higher power for when I'm taking my quiet time is to fill me with faith and trust and help me to let go of fear and worry. Because fear and worry have no place in my life. I know I worried for a long time about a job and about working, but I finally started working and I absolutely love my job. And and get this, it's it just the street that I'm working on is a stone's throw away from when my father grew up as a kid, as a boy. And that's what I consider divine intervention, my father. And I loved him very much. But anyway, I wish you all a very blessed day. Thanks for taking on me, I'll pass. Thank you, Eileen. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Well, this is Rebecca. This is Kathy in Boston. Oh, go ahead, Kathy. Thanks, Rebecca, for your service. Um, Kathy Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater. And this paragraph reminds me um, how far I've traveled on this road of agnosticism. Um, I would say the first 10 years I was in program, I just ignored the whole issue, and I worked a food plan with support. And um, since that didn't work, um, I became desperate enough um, to uh, really tackle the question, um, is there a higher power, and if so, what is it? And my sponsor gave me a really good piece of advice, um, which I just wanted to pass on to anyone who's still struggling with this part of our program, Um, and that was to ask other recovered people how they came to believe and what their concept of a higher power was. And so I started doing that and was just amazed at how many different points of view I heard and how many examples I heard that, you know, seem possible to me. Um, And then finally, as I worked step two, my sponsor asked me to write out my definition of a higher power, which I did. And it was comprised of uh, certain attributes that um, I needed uh, myself that I don't have, like patience and compassion um, and wisdom. And so that's how I arrived at a definition of my higher power, that I could sit quietly and um, ask for help from if it would help others and also to listen to in quiet meditation. And that was several years ago, and today I see that my higher power, the concept of my higher power and my relationship with my higher power has definitely grown and changed, and it's harder in some sense to put into words now, 
But my higher power dwells within me now. And when I sit quietly um, and have conversations with my higher power and listen, um, I always end up receiving insights about what the next right thing is to do. And for someone who came in here with absolutely no willingness, that is truly a miracle. And I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Jean? Go ahead, Jean. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, What strikes me here, I'm just looking at step two to refresh my memory on what we're talking about here in the We Agnostics chapter. And um, so this coming to believe... Um, uh, or came to a belief that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So um, that's the issue here, and and I'm just looking in in this um, paragraph where it's saying there's there's a, a lot of variety on what our higher power is like uh, amongst the fellowship. But then right at the end of the paragraph, it says we need not be worried about that. Um, that the variations on the theme really aren't the issue. And um, I I like the analogy of the idea that we're broken. Okay, we're here because we've gotten uh, something's broken and not working. And so we're studying the big book to find out how other broken people found a way out. And they're saying that uh, believing in in a higher power is one essential thing they did on the road to recovery. And so I like, uh, you can further take it out of the abstract realm uh, the way Joe and Charlie did, and I won't go on too much longer. I'm timing myself here. I see I've got another minute. Um, where they they use the car repair analogy. It was got a broken car, and we're new in a town, and we don't know where to take it. Well, someone else suggests a place they've used forever that does a good job. Well, at that point, we don't really have faith, but we do have the belief that this other person had good results. So we take our car to that place, and they repair the car, and that is the beginning of our faith in that car repair place. And um, but it, But initially, they underscore that we don't need faith, we just need a belief, and that's, and that's why I went back and looked at how uh, step two is worded specifically, came to believe. And so here we are studying the pages so we can come to believe in this quote-unquote repair place and that, that it worked for others and it will work for us as well. And I'll pass. Thank you, Jean. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Hello, this is Ed from New York. 
Hi, Ed. Go ahead. Morning. Um, I, it just struck me that uh, the conception, any particular conception doesn't matter. And what came to my mind is that uh, the creator uh, is not uh, limited or contained inside the human mind. It's the opposite. The creator is bigger than the human mind. And uh, it's kind of funny in a way, but I, I say to myself, so this creator really doesn't doesn't care too much what we call him. And uh, I, I, that that sort of makes me laugh, you know. So whatever whatever I call him, or however I uh, however I conceptualize that, uh, doesn't matter to the creator. And so really, what matters is that as a human being, I do see my limitation. Uh, that I am not the creator, and that and and our human mind can at least see uh, that creation is something that has has happened, and uh, so I go from and I'm working very hard now to go from the small life with my craving as my god. Or, or satisfying my my own desire for pleasure was my God, and what a small life that is, and to go from that to openness and dependence on the actual energy of Creator uh, is enough for me, and I just wanted to offer that uh, today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ed. This is Rebecca, and I'd like to share. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Connecticut. At the bottom of page 46, it says, they say, We found that God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. To us, the realm of spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It is open, we believe, to all men. And that's what the paragraph we read today reminds me of, and it's very, very reassuring that I, too, can have this as limited as I am in my understanding of something, anything greater than myself. I don't have to be worried. I can just trust that I want recovery badly enough that I can just lump along until... God willing or higher power willing, um, I grow to have faith, and that is what happened for me. And I, I'll pass. Why don't we move on to Rick B. to read the next two paragraphs. On one proposition, however, these men and women are strikingly agreed. Every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than himself. This power has in each case accomplished the miraculous, the humanly impossible. As a celebrated American statesman put it, let's look at the record. Here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed. They flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power and to do certain simple things, there has been a revolutionary change in the way of living and thinking. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of total failure of the human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction 
flowed into them. This happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. Once confused and baffled by the seemingly the seeming futility of existence, they showed the underlying reasons why they were making heavy going of life. Leaving aside the drink question, they would they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. They show how the change came over them. When many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of their lives, they present a powerful reason why one should have faith. Good morning, I'm Rick from Massachusetts, a recovered compulsive reader. Well, these two paragraphs continue to talk about the people that wrote the personal stories. And they also look at a bigger group, the people that had recovered as a result of the steps because they're talking about many hundreds of people. And I'll go right to that very last, very last sentence in the second paragraph. When many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is the most important fact of their lives, they present a powerful reason why one should have faith. This, this chapter is to the agnostic, and earlier in the chapter they said that roughly half, half of the early alcoholics were agnostic or atheist. So they're giving us some examples of how people came to believe and how they came to rely on their own conception of God. Um, the stories, they, they say in the stories that um, these men and women are strikingly agreed. Those stories tell us how each one of those people came to rely on a higher power. And each one of those stories is slightly different. It doesn't tell us exactly what that higher power has to be. There are many different ideas there. But they also tell us in the end of that second paragraph that that power, that presence of God, that consciousness of the presence of God is the most important fact of their lives, leaving aside the drink question. So not only is God the most important thing in their life regarding their alcoholism, or for us our compulsive overeating, it transforms them wholeheartedly in every aspect of their life. So not only is, is God going to help us with our compulsive overeating, God is going to, going to flow in, as it says, and transform every aspect of our life. So they're really painting uh, a really powerful picture, a really um, optimistic picture. And even though typically we think of this chapter as step two, that doesn't mean that this has to occur when we're at step two. It will occur if we follow the direction. So let's not be um, confused or scared thinking that we have to gain this conception of God right at this point, because I certainly didn't. 
it wasn't until well into step nine where I even had an inkling of the presence of God. I was willing to believe, but it was in step nine when I saw definite signs and definite proof of of God working in my life. And it was later on when that conception of God started to formulate in my head and started to take root and started to um, have definition. It didn't happen in step two. So we need to remember that um, step two is a process. And that process continues for a lifetime. We continue to get to know that God, the God of our understanding. And it, it, will, it will develop and it will mature and it will change over time. So don't be afraid that we're in step two and we have to get to know God. All we have to know right now is be willing to believe and we're on the right path. So I'll pass with that. Thanks. Thank you, Rick. Who would like to share on these two paragraphs? Kim? This is Katie. I heard Kim and Katie. Did I hear a third person? Yes, Hannah. And then Hannah. So, Kim, you go next. Thank you, Rebecca. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than himself. This was key for me. This is the reason that I did not read We Agnostics for many years and Overeaters Anonymous, because I have a belief in God. You know, I grew up, I went through 12 years of religious schooling. I went to my, my, um, my religious uh, faith every single Sunday. You know, I did all the rituals that my faith was doing. How, how, why would I need to read this, this, um, this chapter? This is the, the um, sentence that tells me why. Every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than himself. I had to admit, if I kept falling face down in the food, if I was using, if I did not have the power to keep the food down, I didn't have access to that power, no matter how much I believe in it. So what do the steps do for me? The steps allow me to have access to that power. And the fact is, if I could simply admit I was powerless and then go, okay, God's the answer, then we would have a two-step program. I see people get so frustrated. I know I got frustrated thinking, okay, I'm powerless. Okay, God's the answer. I'm just going to do the, the one, two, three waltz of OA, turn it over, and then I'm going to quote-unquote take it back. But the fact of the matter is, I didn't have access to that power. So what are the steps here for? The steps here are here for to help us get access to that power. And how do we do that? Is that because we have to do more? Maybe I have to pray more. Maybe I have to find more rituals. Maybe I have to do more tools. Maybe I have to go to more meetings. Maybe I have to get a better sponsor. More, more, more. That's the ism of my alcoholism. It's all about more. But what the steps do for us? How do I get access to this power? The steps are a program of subtraction. Because the more that I can depress self, because I am taught, will be taught in step three that self is the problem, the more I can depress self, God will naturally come out. So in steps four and five, we get rid of our resentments. We get rid of our fears. We get rid of our sex conduct and harm to others. 
In six and seven, we get rid of our character defects. In eight and nine, we get rid of our guilt, shame, and remorse for the harm that we have caused others. In step step 10 and 11, we work on keeping that conscious contact open so that we can feel the power of God. And that power of God, that, that higher power that you're feeling, will remove the obsession to eat. The goal of Overeaters Anonymous is not to make us strong enough to resist the food one day at a time. The goal of Overeaters Anonymous, the miracle of Overeaters Anonymous, is that I no longer want my binge food. I had my family over from one of my religious holidays yesterday, and I had served my, my, my father my, one of my favorite binge foods, and I was grateful to see him enjoy it. I didn't care. That is the miracle of Overeaters Anonymous. And just a visual for you, because I'm such a visual person, I live in New Jersey, Superstorm Sandy. When it came roaring through New Jersey, and finally when, the, when that rain stopped and those winds stopped and that storm stopped and I walked outside and I saw trees falling over and gratefully no damage in my house and just a couple houses in my neighborhood, I didn't have electricity for seven days. Now, I know there's electricity. I have TVs. I have light switches. But it didn't matter how many times I turned those light switches off or tried to turn my TV on and off, the electricity wasn't hooked up. Even though I believed in electricity and I knew that electricity was there, until I had access to electricity, until those PSE&G guys and those utility guys came and they did the work that needed to be done to hook up my house again to electricity, it didn't matter how much I believed in electricity. That was my reality. It didn't matter how much I believed in a higher power. I put so much crap between me and God, I couldn't get access to this power. And that's what I learned in this book, in this chapter. I learned, number one, I needed a power. And I learned that the reason I could not keep the food down is because I couldn't access this power. And the rest of the book was going to teach me how to get access to that power. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Katie? This is Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. So what this is telling me is that I have to get out of my own way. That, you know, I was saying with one hand, raising my hand, saying, I'm powerless, I want what you have, to those I saw who had recovered. And with the other hand, I was shoving food in my mouth. So I didn't, um, I had to reach the level of despair and hopelessness to where I could say my way, every bit of my way is not working. And I have to believe that there's something outside of myself or I'm going to just keep getting in my own way. Um, Because I, you know, I started over in this program hundreds of times. You know, I went to uh, hundreds of meetings. And it didn't seem to make any difference. I did believe in God, as Kim said. You know, I was raised um, in a religious home, and, and, you know, we went to to services, and I cried, and I asked, you know, the priest to help me, and they couldn't help me because I was in my own way. So all this is asking us is to admit that you have a need for God and that that God is not you. 
And every day I have to wake up today and say, my will has to get out of the way. I have to trust God's will. And, you know, it doesn't mean that no problem comes my way and that life is easy and that, you know, when a, you know, as Kim described, you know, a storm comes and the power goes out. I, I have those problems too. But the good news is I don't shove my hand into bakery boxes to get myself through those hard times. I trust and rely on God. You know, I I know um, that as I breathe in and out and as I take the next um, right steps, you know, that are not headed towards the bakery box um, or something outside of my food plan, that God will carry me through to the next um, meal the next day. And it's so much better than that. That sounds really boring. But, you know, my way was so... Um, devastating and just sickening. I mean, my my mind was so fogged and clouded by this disease, and I don't have to live that way today. I can um, turn my problems over to God, and I have a full and rich life. And, you know, if you don't believe that for yourself today, well, this is what this, you know, ends with. When many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of their lives, they present a powerful reason why one should have faith. So if you're scoffing at the idea of God having anything to do with your eating problem, well, you know, just have an open mind. That's all we're asking. That's all I have to do on a daily basis is have an open mind to what God is going to do uh, to bring me through this um, into the next phase of my life. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie F. Hannah? Good morning. Um, my name is Hannah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Colorado. Thank you for the meeting and for the people listening. Um, I, I, I can say, you know, this rings especially true for me today, that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of my life because I couldn't live my life without that. I, I, I don't know. For me, it's hope, you know, if I'm... I I always look for intellectual clarity and certainty, and I uh, was studying philosophy when I first came to 12-step programs and was very active politically and very aware of everything that was wrong in the world. Um, and what, what I had to do and, and what was possible was to um, narrow this down to where my personal experience today, you know, and it said in that earlier paragraph that experience has taught us that these are matters about which for our purpose we need not be worried. So narrowing it down <clears throat> to, oh, <laughs> what's my need? today, and my need today is for some kind of help living my life. Um, 
and and that's that's really I I have to tomorrow I I have to fast for a medical procedure and I know there's no possible way that I can do that. You know, my mind cannot come up with a way that I can do that. And I know that the presence of this higher power can make it possible for me to do that when it's time to do it. Um, I, 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 I just, I, I think one of the things that's so important to me in this section is that I speak from my own experience, you know, and, and, and my own experience and my process through the steps may be different from someone else's. So my experience is I had to find a bridge in the second step to some kind of hope that there was help for me. Um, and and I found it, you know, I found it in my cat at that point in saying whatever it is that makes my cat purr when he sits in my lap and I pat him, you know, whatever it is that makes my dog always happy to see me, that, that force, that's what I need more of in my life and what I'm asking for help from. Thanks for that, I pass. Thank you, Sana. Would anyone else like to share on the, these two paragraphs? Katie from Boston. I heard Katie, but I heard someone before Katie. Whose name was that? Elizabeth. Elizabeth and then Katie. Go ahead, Elizabeth. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for your service. Um. When I came to Overeaters Anonymous, I came with a belief in a power greater than myself. I had had that my whole entire life. I'd been in church, went to religious school. Um, but what I came to understand um, was that it was an issue of dependence for me. Belief didn't really matter. I had belief, and it wasn't working. I had belief, um, and I actually did turn to God a lot before I got to OA. And um, But my belief didn't seem to do anything for me. As I studied this book with a sponsor, and I was shown in the early pages that we, anytime we see the word we... It means the first 100, um, and I always like to think of that first 100. Bill, Bill Wilson may have written this book, but I, I like to think of the first 100 as being the group conscience that that signed off on the, the actual words that went into the first printing because we, we know from the archives that the first manuscript didn't meet with the first 100's complete approval, so they edited it. And um, so, I, so I really like to believe that that we means the first 100, and um, and that that tells me that it's a, even that can be a power greater than myself. That first 100, but we agnostics, um, you know, they're talking about all of themselves, and 
and I can even include myself in that. It, it, you know, if, if all of them were agnostic, then obviously I might be too. And what does agnosticism mean? You know, my my first sponsor told me, well, you know, it just means that you believe in God, but you don't think it's relevant to, you know, your problems or whatever. So as I studied this book and really tried to figure out what the heck was wrong with me because I had this incredible belief in God. There's nothing that could have shooken, shaken my belief in God. Um, but I eventually got to, in working with others, on page 93, a paragraph that described me. And it reads, Your prospect may belong to a religious denomination. His religious education and training may be far superior to yours. In that case, he, meaning me, Elizabeth, is going to wonder how you, my sponsor, can add anything to what I already know. And I'll personalize it here, but Elizabeth will be curious to learn why her own convictions have not worked and why yours seem to work so well. He may be an example of the truth that faith alone is insufficient. So belief alone was insufficient. To be vital, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. Let him see that you're not here to instruct him in religion. So faith, to be vital, must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. Well, I surely didn't have any of that going on when I was practicing um, my character defects and living in my disease. So I saw that I had to find a solution with this higher power that was going to enable me to depend on my higher power. Um, I like what someone else said, have access to that power. Um, I didn't have that word at the time, and it didn't, um, no one used it with me, but it's, you know, it's similar. You know, I have to, I have to access that power and I have to have dependence upon. I grew up thinking I had to grow up or stand, you know, when I had a problem, God helps those who help themselves. Um, you know, I, I thought, pull myself up by my bootstraps, you know, and all of that, there may be some value in, in those, um, sayings, but, um, unfortunately it led to me depending on me and I have to find a way to depend upon my higher power and working these 12 steps, um, is how I finally got to a place where I could do that. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Elizabeth. Katie? Hi, Rebecca. It's Katie. Can you hear me? I can hear you, Katie. Oh, great. Good morning, Rebecca. Thanks for your service, and thanks to everyone this morning. It's great to be here. Um, I love this paragraph. You know, what are they talking about? Um, there have been revolutionary changes, new and radical in ways of thinking and living. Um, and I love this. This really defines step two for me. In the face of collapse and despair and total failure of human resources. I mean, that's what it took to me, for me to get to step one. And that's what it took for me to get to step two, is to see the devastation of my life on based on my you know pow, my own human resources and it was like it is so thrilling to think that 
you know, if I meet these few simple requirements, requirements being gaining access to God through the 12 steps, I will have a new sense of power, peace, and happiness because what is my problem? Lack of power, that is my dilemma. And it's promising me a new power. And I love this. It says, um, I was, you know, confused and baffled by the seeming futility, the uselessness of existence and how I make heavy going of life. I mean, that is so true for me. You know, without a power greater than myself, life is so hard. Even when things are going my way, you know, it would be like, oh, Katie, how's it going? Oh, well, you know, and, and what my sponsor said to me is that, you know, this is separate from food and alcohol. This is separate from me being active in my disease. I, there's a, my, my, my problem is my thinking. My problem is making, you know, heavy going of everything, that everything is so hard. Everything is so, is such a problem. And, um, you know, my whole attitude was negative. But, um, you know, what was amazing is I, I heard a message of depth and weight when people were talking about this consciousness of a presence of God. And as so many of the people have said this morning, it doesn't matter, you know, who your God is. You know, I, I just, I was so devastated by the way I had been living my life that I was like, I, I just know that I'm not it. And it was so exciting that I could just kind of go along and say, okay, well, that's enough. And, and, and yeah, the presence of God today is the most important factor of my life. And do I do I always access it at every single second of every single day? No, I get blocked. I start making heavy going again, and then it's like, okay, wait, what am I going to do about that? And I cycle back through, and I and I do a step ten or or get reconnected. And um, you know, this is this is a promise that that I too can have. We can all have this presence of God in our life if we meet those few simple requirements. And the way to get there is not through, you know, my sponsor was very clear, like I didn't have to sit there and have some, you know, huge conception of God that every day is a day to expand on my conception of God and my relationship with God. And um, it's just such an amazing process. It's an amazing process. And this is this is a promise for all of us. And um, if you're out there and you're new, welcome, because there is there is a process for you to discover a presence of God on your own. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Katie G. KDF? KDF. Go ahead. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you for your service. This is Judy F. Oh. I'm sorry. I said Katie. Judy, go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm a recovered compulsive reader, Judy F. from Massachusetts. Um, this paragraph, my head, my sponsor had me highlight the whole thing. There's just so much in here. And I found it is true for me, um, but it gives so much hope. And, you know, that the principle of step two is hope. And who would not want to get on the bandwagon you know, to take a certain attitude toward that power and do certain simple things, there has been a revolutionary change in the way of living and thinking. And that just start, you know, with me being willing to be open-minded, willing to listen to another way of thinking and have that certain simple attitude. And I love in this paragraph, it uses simple twice, um, to do certain simple things, and who met a few simple requirements. And this is simple. I can complicate it. 
I can complicate anything. And it's to remember, you know, what is simple about this? Well, we come to believe, to trust God, we clean house, and then we help others. And, you know, a clean house steps forth through 10 and then 11, having that continuing where we left off on step two, and then step 12 is helping others. And that I've found this true for me, um, that I have found a new power, peace, and happiness, and sense of direction. I have a purpose today. Before, my purpose was to get through the day, what was going to get me through the day, and I depended on food to get me through any situation. So I was believing in a higher power, and it was food or my own thinking, my own figuring it out, what was going to get me through the situation. And it's just to change that thinking from my self-sufficiency to a higher power. And as scary as that seems, they did just keep my sponsor and others saying, just trust the process. It will happen to you. So I had to have that hope. And that hope, it could be in a little way, okay, they're not eating today, and I have been, so maybe I'll try this thing. And, um, and I did, and then I followed directions. And after 22 years, I'm still in a, in a state of um, not compulsively overeating, not going to the food, but going to God and bringing this message to others. And I do live a life of peace, happiness, and I'm so grateful to have a sense of direction today. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Did... Did Sharon H. want to share? Okay. Um, It's actually 7.55, and I want to thank everyone who has shared. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Would Will Janice M. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Well, thank you, Rebecca. This is Janice M. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.